Hello, and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you have sent me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. All right, so this weekend um, is my wife's birthday, so we are having a birthday celebration this weekend. Uh, this is episode number 251, following last week's spectacular to episode number 250. I think you guys, I've been getting some amazing and wonderful feedback on the interview that I did with uh, Christina Richardson. Really, really glad that you guys uh, got something out of that. that. That was the latest in a series of interviews I did that I am calling the Scientology Experience. That's, there are playlists on my channel. You can look up the earlier uh, interviews I did with people, long-form interviews, and it's and it's funny looking back on my earlier interviews. I'm going through some of them now to pull out clip uh, bits and put on my Critical Clips channel, which, by the way, if you guys have not subscribed, and a lot of you have not, uh, then please do check that channel out, because I think you guys are going to like, you know, some of those clips coming out. There's There's some good content there. And it's kind of funny going back and looking at how I used to interview people and how I interview people now and how, you know, some of the things I've learned along the way. That's, that's kind of fun. Um, and speaking of interviews, this week I did a podcast interview with a guest, Dr. James Lindsay, and I am pumped as hell to have gotten him on my podcast. He's, uh, this is, uh, he and Peter Bogosian, um, have been on Joe Rogan's podcast. They were, they were, you know, very much getting around and he agreed to be on mine and we talked for two and a half hours. I think he was a little surprised at, at how well the conversation went. <laughs> he seemed to be quite pleased with it. And I was too. I learned a lot and I really, really recommend you guys check it out. It's, uh, I think I titled it with some kind of really boring-ass title like cultic behavior in, in social activism or something. I mean, you know, it's like how do you sexy up some of these titles? You know, I don't want to make clickbaity titles. I want to put accurate titles together, but at the same time, I know some of them are just like, ugh, I don't want to look at that, even though it's two and a half hours of some really interesting podcasting greatness, you know? So it's kind of one of those, ugh, things I struggle with as a content creator. But anyway, I really hope you guys will check that out. And, as, and, of course, as well, the interviews I've been posting with, uh, with Christina. Okay, that all being said, let's get on with your questions for this week. Jesper Jensen. How do Scientologists explain that men like Tom Cruise, David Miscavige, and LRH, who are supposed to have almost superhuman powers, seem to not be able to apply those powers to their own marriages? Seems like saving your marriage should not be as hard as saving the entire planet. Yeah, this is just one of those great examples where I get to point out different cult mechanisms at play and show how people can, um, well, you know, belief is a wonderful thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, and the thing is about, specifically you asked about Tom Cruise, David Miscavige, L. Ron Hubbard. These are opinion leader people. These are big power figures in the world of Scientology. And so they are granted a... That, that superpowers thing, okay, so I've done a lot of videos about, you know, answering questions about superpowers, and, and Scientologists really don't necessarily think that people are, you know, lifting things with their mind or something, you know, like they're using the force or something. I mean, it's not quite that obvious, but there's a lot of material in Scientology about suppressive people and the power and mystique of suppressive people. Because they, they, you want to talk about people who seem to have superpowers, it's the SPs, the superpower people, the suppressive people, 
who seem to actually be accorded more power and, uh, you know, ability to mess things up and screw, screw up society, screw up whole civilizations, as well as, of course, individual relationships. So it's weird because you have this these classes and, and attitude in Scientology about suppressives and how they are scum and low rent, you know, um, just not worthy. They're just people who are just very antisocial people, uh, and they're and they're not able to get things done. They 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 constantly target the wrong thing. If they're if the tire's flat, they'll kick the cat. You know, is there there there's all these mistakes they're constantly making. And Hubbard said they can't even complete any action or uh, project that they get started on. So there's all this sort of you know, it, it degrading or insulting language towards SPs, and yet they're also the the these these super beings who can infiltrate marriages, get close to power figures like Tom Cruise, David Miscavige, or L. Ron Hubbard, who are the basically the three biggest power players in the world of Scientology. And somehow these SPs can coddle up or, or you know, slide up to, to these guys and sneak their way into their lives and, and through flattery and, and lies and, and other deception, they can ingratiate themselves to these power figures and gradually start pulling them down, right? And this is all explained in hindsight, of course. Katie Holmes was the most wonderful wife in the world. Um, and uh, let's see what Nicole, right, for Tom Cruise also, right, you know, power, supermodel, like wonderful woman until she wasn't, right? And then it turns out, oh, her dad is a psychologist and so she's a suppressive and Scientology never worked on her and Katie had to escape from Tom Cruise's life. That's how much of a hold he had over her. And she arranges things with her family and escapes. And somehow she's the SP. She's the suppressive on Tom Cruise's lines, is how they would put it. Uh, so who's got the superpowers there, Tom or Katie? Right? I mean, if you kind of flip the script a little bit, you can see what I'm talking about. And Scientologists cower in fear of suppressives, which is fascinating because Hubbard... Hubbard didn't. Hubbard's attitude about suppressives was very different than modern Scientology, at least as far as I understood it and how I got from how Hubbard acted and what Hubbard said. Hubbard was a vindictive, tough guy, and he was not interested in uh, anybody criticizing him or giving him a hard time, and he, and he wanted those people ruined. And he would call them SPs. You know, anybody who would, did anything against him was an SP. So, um, so he was not, you know, he was all down with, you know, beating him up. He, he, I always say jokingly, but I really don't know that it was such a joke that he came up with this, you know, sort of uh, the name for this process or this procedure called R245, where you take a 45 gun and shoot the person. He jokes, jokingly referred to it as an instant exteriorization process. In other words, you shoot somebody and they're going to pop out of their head, of course, because their body's dead. You know, ha ha, right? So, um, so this is the kind of thing Hubbard would joke about. And he put a course together, or had a course put together, called the PTSSP course, which was supposed to educate Scientologists about SPs and what their characteristics are and how you spot them. And how you how you avoid becoming PTS to them, how you become 
a potential trouble source. If you're connected to a suppressive in Scientology and you're being suppressed by them, then you are a potential trouble source. And David and Tom Cruise, you know, became a potential trouble source to both of these SPs. And I guess to some degree, Miscavige considered he was probably um, PTS to you know, all the SPs around him. Miscavige is constantly haranguing about all the SPs around him and and how everybody is working against him and he's the only one who's keeping the show on the road and moving the ball down the road. So, um, so you know, this course, this, this education is supposed to firm, you know, arm you against this so that you can confront and shatter suppression. That's the idea. It's literally the subtitle on the course pack. PTSSP course, How to Confront and Shatter Suppression. And so how do Scientologists now do that? They run and hide. They are cowards when it comes to suppressives coming around their facilities, walking down their streets, um, trying to engage with them on social media. It's run away, run away, run away. And then go cower in their little social media circles or hide in their buildings and talk to each other about how powerful and amazing and wonderful and superpowered they are and how those horrible SPs out there are such cowardly scumbags. I mean, they, they you know, it's like you can really make yourself, while you're cowering in your little buildings, you know, hiding from the world, they, they convince themselves, they talk talk amongst themselves about how great and wonderful and awesome they are. I mean, it's just, it's hilarious from a certain point of view if it wasn't so tragic and if there weren't so many abuses connected with it. So anyway, that's kind of some commentary on it. You know, it's, it's just cult mechanisms at play as usual, uh, cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias and, you know, these things that we talk about. That's all that's going on there. And of course, the social pressures to conform within the world of Scientology um, well, you know, that's really the superpower that Scientology has, is its ability to get, you know, to get people to conform to its uh, silliness, even when that silliness is directly opposite in every way to what Hubbard wrote. And they convince themselves that what they're doing is exactly what Hubbard wrote. I mean, it's, it's pretty strange. You know, it's pretty strange, and I, and I definitely acknowledge that. Anyway, that's what I can say about that. Annie, I found the videos on Reckless Ben and Mike's Scientology infiltration fascinating. Ben was adamant that he had been brainwashed during his auditing session, and listening to it, no wonder. It was bizarre. I can understand that the uninitiated mind would have very little idea how to handle such a psychological assault. Do you think that by engaging in auditing sessions regularly, albeit on the other side of the table, the auditors themselves are actually re-brainwashing slash reprogramming themselves? It would be a very effective way of ensuring that the Scientology masses self-police and maintain compliance without Big Brother having to stand over them. Oh, very much so. You've actually hit on a very key part of how Scientology continues to exist because uh, it has to have mechanisms like this that keep the indoctrination fresh and alive. And for auditors, not all Scientologists, in fact, a small percentage of Scientologists are auditors. Very few of them actually regularly audit other people. Um, of course, there are solo auditors who, of course, are keeping up the indoctrination by going in session every single day. 
and doing the auditing processes and looking at the meter for confirmation of what's going on in their head and uh, or with their body thetans and and all of that. So that of course is a re-up of the indoctrination on a daily basis. So are the by the way the more the more powerful I think the most powerful re-indoctrination that occurs in Scientology are the events. The, they, they occur, what, seven, eight, nine times a year. David Miscavige comes out on stage, gives all this fake news and false statistics and information, and puffs everybody up on how awesome Scientology is and what it's doing in the world. And of course, all the things they're talking about are super hyped up, overly exaggerated nonsense. But the Scientologists crave this information because they need to have that fix, that, that rejuvenation of, of morale and spirit in, their, in the goals and purposes of Scientology because they are out in the real world not seeing any signs that Scientology is doing anything effective to change conditions in the world because it's not. And you know, that's just the blatant truth of the matter. So they're desperate to find this. They can't find it in the media anywhere. You can fact check the things that get talked about at the events and you find nothing about this. Like, for example, the whole claim that Scientology got, got you know, reduced or, or um, um, got, did away with the uh, drug problem in Colombia. Right? This was a big thing. They were talking about how they were working with the military, passing out way to happiness books, educating the public about how horrible drugs are. And as a direct result of this, you know, the Columbia drug trade, you know, declined and crashed and burned. And of course, there's no mention of, you know, beefing up the police forces or the military or American intervention or any other intervention or any of the other factors that took place that had to do with that. And I'm no expert on it. I'm just saying that there were definitely other things going on that brought those drug statistics down. And of course, now I believe, as, as what I've been told, is that they're going back up. Um, so Scientology will claim credit for this kind of thing, but you try to fact check it, you can't find anything, right? Um, or worse, you find stuff, you know, where the church is really stepping in it, like the time that Miscavige got that award uh, from some retired uh, Colombian uh, military person, and, and they made it this big deal as though Colombia was awarding David Miscavige something. And of course they weren't, and it was just all very silly. So anyway, um, so they're desperate for something, anything to, to re-up their belief. And so for, to directly answer your question about auditors, absolutely. The auditing process works just as much on the auditor it does as, as it does on the pre-clear. And by that I mean that the auditor's expecting certain things to happen. Um, and the session has to run through until those things happen. And then, you know, the meter is supposed to do certain things if you're using an e-meter. The pre-clear is supposed to have a win or cognition or realization about life and is supposed to be happy at the end of the session. And you're going to keep running that session until that happens. And when everybody, when both people in the room understand that, that's the old, that those are the conditions upon which you can leave the room, then of course the pre-clear will eventually be able to produce that result. And that just reinforces the auditor's belief that this is, of course, the desired result that always happens. 
right? So it's this weird, like, I, I, don't know, I don't know what term to use for that, except that, you know, one person's confirming what the other person is expecting, the other person's confirming what, I mean, it's, it's sort of this double weird thing that goes on, right? And this mutual reinforcement of what's supposed to happen, and you always somehow make that happen. But believe me, it's not an organic process. You know, if, if sessions were allowed to run their course to where people really felt done and wanted out, then you wouldn't have that end result, right? But Scientologists insist that they know best, and L. Ron Hubbard insisted that he knew exactly what was wrong with every single person on the planet, regardless of context, culture, background, education, or anything else. And he and he's going to enforce this methodology on you. And so if you, you know, don't respond, there's something wrong with you, not with Hubbard's methods. All right. So anyway, um, yeah. So it is a mutually reinforcing thing, and and absolutely, that's part of the Scientology indoctrination. Sane Davis, I initially joined as a public and received some introductory level services like TRs and intro auditing and life repair. Read some books, etc. These services were actually helpful and helped me in living my life with ease and flow. After life repair auditing, I also got free from a decade-old sinusitis problem, and hence I got more hooked into Scientology. However, when I signed up for TRs and Objectives co-audit course, I suffered problems during Objective ARC. For the first time, I started having anxiety. My heartbeats raced like anything. Blood would vanish from my arteries in my hand. I would get up in the middle of the night feeling afraid. Nobody at the mission helped me. They did some corrective auditing, but without result. They didn't tell me what actually happened there. The only answer I got was something got turned on. In your experience with Scientology, did anything like this happen to any preclear you saw? What actually happened there? Was it a nervous breakdown? Also, a red flag was issued. What the hell is a red flag? I also got medical tests done, but nothing appeared in them. Furthermore, after a few weeks, a Scientologist called me and told me that LRH says that a person can become an OT at any point. Does she mean that I have become an OT? Also, till that incident, I would be enthusiastic towards life and would be focused on my efforts and used to like getting up early in the morning, enthusiastic for the day, and going for jogging and exercise. However, after that incident, it has never been the same. I get up with a heavy head every day, filled with anger slash fear, slash sadness, and thought patterns which don't allow me to move forward enthusiastically and in a focused way. What can I do to regain my earlier mental status? Whom should I see for help? A psychiatrist or psychologist or anybody else? I journaled about these thoughts for around four years after which the anxiety has reduced, but still I have not been able to achieve that mental and emotional status. I loved that focused attitude and am unable to regain it. What can I do to achieve it back? Also, before this incident, I used to take risks and make decisions and follow them through to the end to see if I got the result as expected and was open for lessons. However, after the incident, it has been difficult to concentrate at my tasks and I'm not able to take decisions confidently. I kind of keep hanging in the limbo between mind and heart meaning my mind keeps feeling afraid and following my heart's desire, and my heart keeps stopping me from pursuing goals set by my mind. What can I do to come back into alignment? I really miss myself. One thing I can say for sure that Scientology is good in making a person believe that there is something wrong with them, even if there isn't. 
Okay, thank you very much for this long, detailed question, and I'm very, very sorry that you are experiencing what you are. It's never fun to um, be at the receiving end of nonsense like that, and I'm, anyway, like I said, I'm really sorry. As far as uh, what you can do or what's going on, let's uh, first let everybody in on what Objective ARC is, this process that was run on you that apparently triggered you in quite a significant way. Objective ARC is a very simple process that's run as part of the battery of objective processes, even though it is, um, well, here's the commands for the process. Look around here and find something that is really real to you. Look around here and find something you wouldn't mind communicating with. Look around here and find something you wouldn't mind being around. Just those three commands over and over and over again. Now, I have no idea other than the question that you asked me, how this process was run on you, for how long, to what result at the time, um, you know, when these difficulties started for you. But, you know, the only word I can use for what you're describing to me, and I'm not a mental health professional, and nothing I'm saying in this answer or in any of my videos should be construed as any kind of professional mental health advice or really any kind of mental health <laughs> advice at all if it in any way would say contradict or run up against what a true what a licensed mental health professional would advise so i'm only giving you my lay person's understanding of this okay um that all being said right i'm not um I'm, I'm going to say that I think the best thing for you is to get some professional help because you. this is exactly the kind of case that I've talked about before where I think professional help would actually be necessary for, for what you need because I, I, there are a number of different treatment modalities out there that can deal with PTSD, complex PTSD, or whatever else might, whatever other label might apply for your state. Um, like I said, it sounds like something triggered there. As they say in Scientology, something got turned on. And all that really means in the Scientology world is there's some incident in the past that was re-stimulated and brought to the present and is, you know, hitting you upside the head, even if you don't know the specifics of what it was that happened. Well, that's not what's going on necessarily, okay? That's one possible explanation is earlier stress or trauma, you know, coming up to the surface and triggering you now. Sure, that could be what's going on, but there could be other explanations for what's going on too. I, there's not nearly enough information in your question for me to be able to give you any kind of mental health assessment. Um, but I'm going to say very strongly that what I highly recommend you do, especially since you've been living this, this for years and it hasn't died down or calmed down in any real significant way and is still negatively impacting your life, that you contact a mental health professional as soon as possible. And that's, that's the best advice I can give you. I don't know where you're located. It doesn't sound like you're a native English speaker from your question. I was making some grammatical corrections in, there, in the wording of your question. So there are many, many mental health professionals in um, Europe and Australia, around the world. If you go to what I, where I would start, I wouldn't, this isn't necessarily an exhaustive resource, but where I would start is at the International Cultic Studies Association website. It's ixahome.com. And um, that is, that's got a list of mental health professionals who do understand 
Uh, cults have some experience with, with dealing with people who've come out of destructive cults, and Scientology is definitely a destructive cult. So that would be the first place I would go. I know they're pretty resource rich in the United States, less so in other places, but it's a place to start at least. Unfortunately, the vast majority of mental health professionals are not really clued in very well on destructive cults. But the awareness of the problem is higher now than it ever has been before. And even if you have to sort of drag your therapist along with you a little bit in terms of educating them about what you've been through and what Scientology is all about, better to do that and kind of have to spend an hour or two getting them up to speed than not getting any help at all. Okay, I rag on, you know, the fact that psychiatrists, psychologists should be up to speed on this stuff already. It's a prominent enough problem and there's enough literature about it that this should be, you know, being dealt with. Um, but, you know, regardless of me ragging on these guys, you know, their, their mental health professionals are almost uniformly caring people who got into the work because they want to help people. So there, there should be a basic willingness and understanding there, and you should get enough compassion to, to be able to get some help, okay? And that's, I know that's very generalized. I know, it's, I know that's, I've, I've been as specific as I know how to be in this answer. Um, this broadly applies, of course, to anybody out there who has been triggered or who has these kind of traumatic symptoms uh, after occult experience, right? Get some help. Right? It's out there for you and it's worth taking the time. You can also look into education. I will constantly push that because it has helped me so much in my own journey. Um, you know, learning about cults, learning about mental, about mental health, about mental illness, about what it, how it works, how it doesn't work, learning about the stigmas connected with it. Um, these are very, very helpful things in um, dealing with it. At least they have been for me and, I've, and I always try to push that off on other people. And finally, I will say that there is a self-help mechanism you can take advantage of or look into if for some reason finances are a problem or an issue. You can look at something called Cognitive Behavioral Therapy or CBT. And this is something you can actually, there are books that you can use and learn about this and practice or work on it at home yourself, right? You don't have to have a counselor. Better to be doing it with a counselor, but um, but that's something that's there. There are, you know, there's all kinds of opinions about these treatment modalities out there, and I think sometimes they are more workable for other people than than they are for others. You know, kind of like psychotropic medications, right? They work like the bomb on some people. They're not so great for others. You kind of have to work with your mental health professional to figure out what the, what is best for you personally and individually for your situation. There is no blanket handling and that's the problem with Scientology and these other groups is they insist that there is, that this one size fits all, everybody goes through the factory production line and comes out the other end a bright, shiny, spiritual entity, right? And that's just not how it works at all. So that's what I can say about all that. I hope that's helpful. I know it's I know it's generalized advice, but it's the best I know how to give you. And um, yeah, like I said, I hope that helps. Roman Bykov. I've been in the Sea Org for almost 22 years, and a year ago I blew. There were at first attempts to contact me and drag me back in, but I have just cut it off. I simply do not want to have anything to do with that group anymore. You say you've been in there for over 20 years too, how has your recovery of this been? 
how did you get to your current life level? You had an occupation before you got in and now you just practice it for a living or what? I'm a translator and have been one for almost 25 years and now try to earn money by doing this, but honestly it is not enough and it's very hard to get a job because people are reluctant to take you after 20 plus years of doing what? I can't even explain what I've been doing. Yeah, I get it, man. Um, again, it looks like you're European rather than American, so my understanding of the, Amer of the European civil system and job system and job training and all of that is very, very minimal. I know almost nothing about that world. I only know about it in America. Um, so I'm just assuming that you're over in Europe. You could be over here. You could be in some other part of the world, I guess. Um, also, here's, so I can, again, I can only give very generalized advice here, but I'll do what I can based on my experience. I'm not living the high life, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm making my rent. We're, we're living, you know, decently, but it's not like I'm rolling in it right now, okay? I do this job because it is what I love to do and what I have a skill set to do. This isn't what I did before I got involved in Scientology. I was, I had a number of different retail jobs and admin jobs and clerical jobs and stuff, and that's what I did. I was a legal secretary and an office worker and a sales guy at a game store, and I worked at the library for a while. I had a, all kinds of crazy jobs all over the place when I was a Santa Barbara staff member. So pretty eclectic experience and not anything I could put on a resume now and go, ooh, look at that, you should hire me, right? Um, I'm in a position now where, of course, I, I don't have any desire to ever go work for somebody else. I've been working for myself ever since I got, well, almost ever since I got out of Scientology and the idea of having a boss now is just unthinkable to me. Um, so I, so I scrape out this existence and, and at least it is helpful and useful and I get to educate other people in some fashion and help other people in some way. And that to me is, is, is providing me with a whole lot of life satisfaction, even if it's not providing me with monetary remuneration in any great amount. Um, as far as getting work, you know, I had gotten work. I got work after I left the church. I put a resume together. You have to translate the experience, man. You got to work it out so that the things that you did when you were in the church, they all translate to real world experience. And in fact, some of it can translate really big time. I have another Scientology XC org friend who got out who has been connected up with people who are translating her Sea Org executive and uh, work time into uh, degree credits for her to actually be able to move forward with a degree, a professional business degree. And um, so you can actually translate the experience quite effectively in some ways. I'm pretty sure I'd be able to pull that off too. Uh, if I if I tried, but I'm not interested in corporate work <laughs> at this point. Um, but that's just me, right? Uh, even as a translator, you know, that's, that's work that people can understand and can translate, right? <laughs> they can understand in, a, in real world concepts. So, um, so I highly recommend reaching out to and working with other former Scientologists, other former Sea Org members who are making their way in the professional world and ask them how they did it. 
often they were struggling at the beginning, right? I mean, there's a guy named Mike Laws, who's um, down in Texas, friend of mine, built his own company from nothing. And for a while, he was really scraping, eating out of cans. And I mean, it was bad for a while. This was years and years ago. And he's built up an amazing company since then. And um, I mean, Karen De La Carriere is out in LA. She sells paintings. Um, she's made a tremendous life for herself doing that and of course works with her husband Jeffrey Augustine and they they do fine, right? And she's ex Sea Org. She was a class 12 auditor in CS. I mean, they talk about a skill set that doesn't look like it translates in any way into the real world, yet she made that transition and she's doing well. Lots of lots of ex Sea Org members actually do pick up the ball and, and it, that what they do have working for them is their work ethic, at least at the beginning. And that is uh, that overcomes a lot of barriers. But, oh, and one other thing I do want to add on this real fast is that don't be bashful about saying that you were in Scientology, worked for the Church of Scientology, whatever. I have not once had anyone give me a bad time or insult me or, you know, derail me or tell me what an idiot I was to my face in the real world. I've never had that happen. Most of the time, People have been tremendously curious about it, uh, and they've wanted to know more about it. There's never been more awareness in the big wide world of destructive cults and Scientology as a destructive cult than there is now. So you really don't have, unless there's something I'm missing or there's some context or environment that's specific to your situation where it's, it's not a good idea to talk about this, um, at least in you know open Western societies, I've never seen any real blowback or negative repercussions of saying uh, now that you were a Scientologist. Um, I, I, th I think people get over that pretty quick. Kevin Zay, given how closely related Romulans and Vulcans are, and given that Romulans have a greater propensity for violence, do you think Romulans are as equally adept as Vulcans at using reason and critical thinking to solve problems? <laughs> That's a great question, Kevin. Total left turn into Star Trek. <laughs> okay, so, because um, uh, we've been dealing with some weighty questions, so I wanted to put one in here that was not, that was a little mirthful. Um, and here's my take on this, okay? I don't think that Romulans or Vulcans are any more or less inherently um, uh, skilled at or adept at critical thinking. These are, these are taught skills using critical thinking, thinking your way through things. And we've seen in the movies a few different ways of, of interpreting how Spock's education worked as a child, for example. Fact, 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 you know, and thinking, 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 and needing to know lots and lots of things. Um, and yet, we saw in the new Star Trek movies, at least, and even actually in back in original series, when Spock uh, was getting a little horny, <laughs> Pon Far, remember that episode? And he had to go back to Vulcan. And we saw petty jealousies, and we saw maneuvering and social rivalries and things. You know, there was a lot represented in that episode, actually, that showed that Vulcans were pretty much just as underlying you know, emotional and driven by emotional concerns, just as much as they were driven by logic and reason, they were just really good at suppressing the emotional aspects of their existence and using and pushing logic and reason as the way to go about living their lives. And so they focused on it much more intently. But the emotions were raging there. And uh, with Romulans, 
they don't you they don't think that logic critical thinking and reason are as valuable and necessary so no they wouldn't be as adept at those skills as vulcans would be because they don't practice it as much and the thing about critical thinking and logic and reason is these are faculties that have to be exercised in order to be used effectively you don't just you know have some knack for it you gotta work on it because it's not innate to us it's not critical thinking and and reasoning things are not our natural mode of thinking any more than um you know eating candy is natural to our diet you know it's just just doesn't quite work that way so anyway that's sort of my take on that i don't think romulans are any any better than vulcans any better than humans at this kind of thing it's learned behavior and and this is why i think there's hope for us is because we can learn it <laughs> okay there you go The thunder and the lightning indicated is time for flash answers. Michael Yoder, just how many t-shirts do you own? I think probably around 50. <laughs> they come and go. Probably around that many. I love t-shirts. Joanna, my birthday is on the 8th of March, which is also International Women's Day. Does Scientology recognize International Women's Day? No, Scientology couldn't care less about, about International Women's Day. Abe S., I love cats, and I, and I just so happen to notice an adorable kitty behind you in that picture frame. But who's the baby? That is my wife, Melissa, as a baby. <laughs> okay, everybody, that is our show for this week. Thanks for hanging around and watching me blabber on about these things. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you found it educational, informative, and maybe slightly entertaining. Uh, if so, please consider joining me on Patreon. I could very much use your assistance in my day-to-day -day life and in keeping the roof over my head and the lights on and the show going here. Got some great content coming up in the immediate future I think you guys are going to like as far as interviews and work I'm doing. So um, please contribute and make something, make, help me make this happen. All right, guys. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.